0: Our first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 29, starting at verse 14. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, He did not make me? Can the pot say to, of the potter, He knows nothing? In a very short time will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, the ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with the word make a man out to be guilty, who ensnare the defender in court and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, this is what the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, says to the house of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed, no longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them, their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy, they will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction.
1: The second reading is taken from Mark chapter 7, starting to read at verse 1. Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. This is God's word.
2: Do please uh, keep that passage open in Mark chapter 7 as we look at it together. Let me pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would... Give me the help that I need as I speak and all of us the help that we need to listen and hear your word this morning and we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Now I want this morning to persuade you to pick sides in an old debate. Nature or nurture is a debate that's vexed us for centuries, it's vexed psychologists and philosophers, it's vexed all of us for centuries. The question of, of what makes people successful, it's really quite hard to pick sides in that debate. Is it nature? Is it something inborn? Is it, is it natural talent? Or is it nurture? Is it environment? Something, something outside a person? Is it something internal, inside, or is it something outside? So take uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the, uh, the youngest billionaire at age 24. What made him successful? Was it his inborn natural talent? Was it his ability to spot a good opportunity? Was it his ability to take a risk? Or was it the fact that he found himself in a certain dorm at Harvard in 2002 amongst certain groups of friends? Was it the fact that certain people snubbed him that encouraged him to take that opportunity? Is it nurture or is it Nature. Now, I'm not so naive to think we could pick sides in the debate of nature and nurture and what makes someone successful. Now, that debate, in a sense, can rage on. But, but there is a debate that we do need to settle um, this morning. And it is the question of not what makes people successful, but what spoils relationship with God? What spoils relationship with God? And that, too, is an old debate. And there are two possible options. Is it something that comes inside, from inside of us, that causes the problem with God, or something from outside? And uh, we need to settle that debate in our own minds this morning, and that's my job, to persuade us to pick sides in that. Now, as Matt said earlier, we consider the issue of sin this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, you're very welcome, but you you join us in the midst of an unusual little series. So it's the second part in a series looking at, at timeless truths, doctrines, teachings that the Bible teaches but for which there's no encouragement in the world around, or even in some parts of the church, for us to hold on to those things. And today we consider the topic of sin. What spoils relationship with God? And my job is to persuade us to choose a particular view of sin, a serious view, we'll see. But the reason that I I want to do that, the reason that I want to persuade us that actually, what spoils relationship with God is, is the heart inside, something that comes from inside and not the world outside. The reason I want to do that is that you have to have a view of sin that gets to the real you, that gets to your heart. If you're ever going to have a relationship with God that involves your heart. Now if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you've been a Christian for many years, well well, I guess we all have in common at one level or another a desire for a real relationship. With God's, or we're curious about what it means to have a real relationship with God, one that involves our heart, a heart relationship. And uh, the truth today is that as we pick sides in this debate, whether well, it decides whether we have a real relationship with God or not, a sham one, a fake one, or a real one. Now, the only, uh, the only bit of orientation I need to give us as we, as we enter into the middle of Mark 7, a book we haven't been spending time in recently, is this, that, that picking sides in this debate is personal. So we enter into the middle of a tug of war in Mark chapter 7, between two sides. Side one, the Pharisees are respectable, they're religious, and though not many people knew it, they're murderous. Since chapter 3, verse 6, Mark has told us they're intent on killing Jesus. Jesus, on the other other hand, he's radical and he's fringe. And though not many people know it, even his disciples at this stage, he's intent on giving life. He is God's Messiah, God's Savior, no less than that. And picking sides in this debate of of where does sin come from is actually going to help us pick sides between the Pharisees and between Jesus Christ. And so with that, let me, <clears throat> let me come to Mark 7. And uh, the passage divides, really, according to, to these two views. Whether sin, the problem that spoils relationship with God, is an outside-in problem, that is, it, it comes, it begins outside and comes in, or whether it begins inside and goes out. And uh, we'll see in verses 1 to 13 that the outside-in view The great problem with the outside-in view, the reason you mustn't pick that, is that it bypasses the very thing God cares about, the heart. Now, now the thing that makes the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ is the doctrine of sin. And you can tell that by one word in verse 2. Unclean. Unclean. The Pharisees, you see, they come all the way from Jerusalem and they see some of Jesus' disciples Eating food with unclean hands. Unclean. Now, you and I care about that word. That's a big Bible word. It taps into a big Bible story. How can a human being, how can any of us, be clean in God's sight? How can we be fit for the presence of God? It's a big Bible word, and we all want to know the answer to that. That much is common ground for the Pharisees. But where the difference starts to show is in what makes you unclean and for the pharisees what makes you unclean do you see in verse 2 is to be unwashed the pharisees teach teaching on the human problem says that to be unclean is to be unwashed specifically to have hands that are unwashed now that seems laughable really that to to wash, whether or not it's a ceremonial of wash or not, but to wash the outside of the person or to put on some good clothes or to somehow just take care of an external, outside appearance could make you fit for the presence of God, could deal with the great problem between us and God. That that seems laughable. But but Mark gives us a little explanation in verses 3 and 4 of of what they're really thinking. And as we begin to look at it, we realise that it's not something to laugh at, but we might begin to nod with them For do you see, they they don't just care about dirty hands in and of themselves. They care about dirty hands getting on food. Do you see that? Verse 3, they do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. The issue in verse 5 is eating food with unclean hands. And food is the one thing that comes from outside there and goes inside here deep down. So one thing that comes from the world outside and goes inside. The Pharisees know that we've got an inside as well as an outside. The issue is that they care about dirty food because they think there's a dirty world out there. So you see, that's the logic. Their, their great anxiety, their great worry about food is, is ultimately not so much a worry about food, it's a worry about that world, that corrupt world outside that could somehow make its way in here. For the Pharisees, sin begins out there. It's in a corrupt world out there. That's their view. That's their assumption. It's an outside-in view. And, and why would we not along? Not I mean, after all, the, the Pharisees just think that the world's a corrupt place. There are corrupt people. And there are corrupt places that you could go. And I mean, aren't they right? I mean, they know what it is for, for your heart to sink. That you've just discovered that your child has to go to that school instead of the school you hope they'd go to. Because at that school, there are all sorts of corrupting influences. They know what it is to live in a better neighborhood, uh, not a worse one. There is such a thing as a better neighborhood to live in. The world's full of corrupt people, corrupt influences, corrupt people and corrupt places. And in a world out there of corrupt influences, you need to be very careful, they say. You need to be careful of a corrupt world out there. And so, Jesus, why are you not being careful? Verse 5. The Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Why aren't you being careful, Jesus, about a corrupt world out there? And Jesus says, very shockingly, verse 6, this outside-in view that you have, this view that the corrupt world outside could corrupt you inside, He says, that will make you the very definition of a hypocrite. Of a hypocrite. It will make you bypass the very thing God wants, your hearts. Now, Isaiah, many years ago, we had it read for us, gave us the definition of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone whose lips say one thing, I love you, God, but whose heart is far away from God, whose heart says something very different, I hate you, God. And so a hypocrite is someone who bypasses the one thing God cares about, the hearts. The hearts. And heart relationships are all God's concerned about. It's all we're concerned about in any relationship. So suppose I'm sitting across the table from my wife, Zoe, and we're in a restaurant, and she says to me, do you love me? And I say, I love you. Now, at that point, Zoe needs to know that what I say with my lips, I say with my heart. She wants me to say it with my lips, but she wants my heart to be there too. She wants to know that my heart's in it for the simple reason that she wants the real me. She wants the whole me. She wants to know that what I've just said goes beyond my lips and comes from my heart. And, and that's the ordinary way, if you like, of, of our Of how we work our our hearts they're they're the control center they they govern everything and so our lips are usually just the overflow of our heart unless there's a real problem with our heart inside and when our lips say something very different from our hearts and jesus says and isaiah says that that the hypocrite is someone in whom something has gone badly wrong in their hearts there is a problem still in their hearts. Verse 6 do you see their lips honour God their heart is far from God and so verse 7, it's a sham relationship they worship me in vain he says because the real them, the heart, the heart that God wants, the heart that must relate to God is left far away but do you see in verse 7, I'm still quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah knew it just as Jesus did that uh, what turns someone into a hypocrite what, what makes someone bypass the heart in their relationship with god is having an unreliable doctrine following an unreliable in this case a human teaching it's picking the wrong side it's picking the wrong kind of teaching verse seven their teachings are but rules taught by man and the only rule we've seen taught by man so far in these verses is the one of the elders the tradition of the elders that sin comes from the outside a corrupt world out there, and goes inside. So you see, this outside-in view has lots of practical effects, potentially devastating ones. Somehow, if we have a view of sin, a view of the problem that, that starts outside and we think goes inside, it actually bypasses the hearts. Now, Jesus hasn't told us precisely why, but he's given that warning, and he now gives an example in verses 8 to 13. He gives us an example of what this does to you. If you adopt this doctrine, this outside-in view, what does it do to you? And his example in verses 9 to 10 could begin like this. It could begin, mum and dad are getting older. Mum and dad are getting older. And they've started to really need your help. In fact, now they really do need the help of their children. They need your help. And whether it's financial or practical, they need your help. Now, what does God say? This is Jesus' example, what does God say? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart here? What does heart obedience mean here? Well, God has not left us in doubt, Jesus says. He's very clear. Honour your mother and father. That's what he commands. Help them in their needs. In fact, it's it's such a clear obligation that to disobey it in the language here, quoted again from the Old Testament, to to curse your mother and father, to refuse that help, well, it deserves the punishment of death at God's command, verse 10, in God's law. There can be no debate about what God cares about. Help them in their need. That's what it means, says Jesus, to to engage your heart, to honour your mother and father. But, verse 11, The Pharisees have come up with a way, come up with a rule that in a sense means people don't have to do that anymore. They can refuse the help that their parents need, that God commands them to give. They can say in a sense, look, my resources, whether they be financial or practical, they're committed elsewhere, I'm just unable to help you. And what is more, God has required that of me. And this is a gift devoted to God. For the sake of the gospel, I'm afraid I'm needed elsewhere. I'm doing good elsewhere. I, I can't give you the help that you need. And so, verse 11, they bypass what God cares about in their obedience. They bypass what God cares about. And what is really happening is that they bypass in the name of God as well. They bypass what God cares about. And what makes it worse is they do it in God's name. And that's Jesus' example. And uh, in verse 13, he says, I could give many more examples. I could multiply examples. But the warning here for us is that that where we land, where we decide on this question of sin, has knock-ons all over our life, if we're Christians. If your view of sin says nothing about the hearts that God wants, I mean, that's what God wants, that's what any... In relationship, wants. If our view of sin says nothing about the heart, well, then we won't, we'll bypass what God wants in everything. If we bypass it in this, we'll bypass it in everything. It seems to be what Jesus is saying. Well, if that's the the outside in view, Jesus now brings us to the view we should pick his view, the inside out view. That is that sin begins inside and comes outside. And we see in verses 14 to 23. That this view of sin exposes the hearts. The heart that God cares about, yes, it exposes the hearts. So in verse 15, Jesus persuades us, wants to persuade us of this doctrine by a two-line parable. It's there in verse 15. Nothing outside a person can make them unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And it's a parable, and you think he could be talking about digestion. There's been a debate about food. People have been disagreeing over food. Maybe he's saying, no, no, you've got it wrong. Don't you realize that that actually food, when it goes into you from the outside, it's actually edible, it's clean, it's fine. It's when it comes out, out of you that there's a problem, it's unclean. Maybe he's talking about digestion. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But don't stop there. This is a parable. He's telling us something spiritually important. You and I need to leave the crowd with the disciples in verse 17 and go inside the house. And we need to be drawn into what Jesus is really saying. And he's telling us about the source of sin. What spoils relationship with God. And he says it's not in a corrupt world outside. But the source comes from corruption inside. It's the heart inside. Not the world outside. That spoils our relationship with God. And do you see? uh, He says, "Outside stuff, you know, food. That's food. If you like, stands for what comes outside and goes inside. It, It cannot be the culprit. That cannot be where things have first gone wrong, because outside stuff doesn't get at the real you. It doesn't touch the real you. It bypasses the heart that God cares about. It can't possibly make you unclean. It can't be the problem." You see, and then he just explains, he explains what anyone would know, he explains what my uh, two-year-old has told me three or four times this week, that that food goes into the mouth and it goes into the stomach and it comes out the other end. It goes round and round a bit in the stomach uh, on its way through. But the one thing it doesn't do is touch the real you, the real you. It doesn't touch the heart. It cannot be the culprit because it doesn't get to the real you. And God is concerned for the real you. And so in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Foods, outside stuff, can't be part of the problem. If things coming from outside, and this is the move Jesus makes, if things from outside are declared above suspicion, well, that only leaves the problem as being an inside one. And so at the very moment he declares foods, outside stuff, clean, he declares every heart of a person unclean. For verse 21, from within, out of a person's heart, come all these evils. And he lists them. Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You don't need to go round the corner to the playboy club to be corrupted or to meet people that will corrupt you. You don't need to go and live in a bad neighbourhood to be corrupted. You don't need to fall in with a bad crowd. You don't even need to turn to the person next to you. No, we are the corrupting ones. We are the corrupting influences. Jesus says, shockingly, that the real you and the real me is actually the real problem. And so we have a conundrum that the thing that God wants, our hearts, are actively, busily producing, naturally producing the things that God hates, all these evils. And so in effect, Jesus says, look, look, if you were to tell the true story of evil thoughts or, or sexual immorality it wouldn 't begin with the uh, the sex industry it wouldn 't begin with explicit advertising. It would begin with the human hearts, yours and mine. If you were to begin if you were to tell the true story of theft it wouldn 't begin with if somebody 's back was turned or there 's an awful gap between rich and poor and then dot 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 no it would begin with the human hearts, the evil of the human hearts or adultery. The true story of any adultery is not actually that there was uh, an opportunity, an exciting new opportunity, and a dull marriage that combined to produce it. The true story of any adultery is actually the heart of a human being, the evil that comes out of the hearts, and of greed as well. It's not a materialistic culture that has created greed, No, but rather it is our hearts, your heart and mine, that naturally want to accrue to ourselves everything that we see. Jesus says the problem comes from inside and makes a person unclean. Now, it's shocking and sobering. and and Let me just pause for a moment and, and talk or illustrate in terms of fire what Jesus is saying here, in terms of fire and oxygen. Jesus is not saying that there are not evil things in the world out there. There's evil here and there's evil out there. The world is in that sense ablaze with evil. You turn on the news and you see that. It's in here and out there. But the question is where did this fire come from? What's its source? And there are things out there, places and people that we can mix with and go to that will inflame hearts. That will inflame evil hearts, if you like, like oxygen does for a fire. But the question is where does the fire come from? That's the question that Jesus wants us to settle, and he says it comes from the human heart. It is from inside. And so, if we're to move forward with a God who wants our heart, well, then we need to face the truth that naturally our hearts are starting fires. They're producing actively sin. And there the passage ends. There it ends, verse 23. We're left with this verdict on the heart. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And I want to move on in our conclusion to connect this, this picking the right side on this view of sin with who we then turn to. I want to come on to that in a moment. But I want to just pause for a moment and and for us to see that where we have reached is not in and of itself a council of despair, leaving us nowhere to turn. Because where we have left, a place that we didn't begin then we began outside, but but where we've come to now is the hearts. Now, the heart is actively producing evil, in verse 23. That's what Jesus says. This is a problem. But we are now having a conversation. We are, if you like, engaging with precisely what God wants to engage with, the heart. In exposing our heart, we've begun to get to what God cares about. He wants our hearts. And he cares deeply, passionately about the evil that it's producing. So it's not a council of despair, for we have begun to focus on what God cares about. But it still leaves us with a problem. And so I want, as we conclude, to show why picking the right side in this question is personal. We're to pick the right side to pick the right kind of saviour. Do you notice the only command in this passage... The only command that Jesus gives, really, is verse 14. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Understand. He says to his disciples then, Are you so dull? Do you not understand? I want you to get understanding. And all the way through Mark's gospel, understanding is personal. If you get understanding, it's not intellectual knowledge or insight. It's getting Jesus. Once you get understanding in Mark's gospel, you get the person of Jesus. You get what he's about. You get why he's a Messiah who says I've got to go and die. You get why he's a Messiah who says take up your cross and follow me. You need to hand over your heart, your desires, your goals to me. You, You get that in a new way when you understand in Mark's gospel. And so Jesus says understand this problem of your heart. But he's really saying and by doing so, you will understand me in a new way. And in a sense, our, um, our principle here, or the principle there, is, is quite simply that, that how we define the problem affects how we define the solution. Wh- whatever we decide sin is, whatever we decide that, that the problem is that spoils relationship with God, that is going to affect what kind of saviour we go in search of. Now, I, I want us just to have a look briefly at a slide here. Um, just simply illustrating that point with a few examples. So if the problem, if actually the, the big gap, the big um, break between us and God is, is simply ignorance, it's a lack of knowledge, we need to be told something, well, if the problem is defined as ignorance, well, then we're looking for a teacher. We're looking for someone to correct our ignorance, to inform us, but no more. And then if our, uh, if our problem is meaninglessness, We think uh, life has no meaning. It's a riddle. It's a puzzle. We can't work it out. At that point, we're looking for a guru, someone with a key, someone who's going to unlock the riddle. That's the kind of savior we're looking for. If we think our problem is sickness, we recognize that there is a problem. It has something to do with us. Well, we go in search of a healer, the problem might not be that deep, but we do need a healer. And so that's the saviour, if you like, that we look for. But if the problem is as serious as this and as deep as this, if the problem goes to the real you and the real me, if it is, as Jesus says, the evil of the heart, well then we need quite simply a saviour who gives us a new heart, a saviour who cleanses our heart somehow. Because we have, if you like, at the, at the end of um, this passage, we've got a deathly kind of diagnosis something we can't do anything about something human beings in a sense can't help us with no ordinary human being could help us with this and so we're only left if we we accept that this is the problem we're only left really with a Christ who has a deathly kind of mission, a Christ whose death somehow and his resurrection that follows cleanses our heart changes our hearts forgives our heart and so in a sense as we, uh, as we finish this morning my desire my prayer is that we we grasp that the problem doesn't come from the outside but comes from the inside. And even though that feels like a very threatening truth to acknowledge to expose our hearts, the heart that God cares about as actually being the very heart of the problem it actually sends us like a magnet to a saviour who dies and rises again to cleanse our hearts. And so in a sense this this truth today is very much connected to Easter. For as we understand this truth well then we can understand in a fresh way the person Jesus and the work that he does in dying and rising. Why don't I close this in a prayer. Our Father God we thank you that you seek the hearts of people for relationship. And we praise you that you speak to the hearts. We praise you even for this diagnosis that uncovers our heart and for the Lord Jesus who was prepared to speak it in the face of people who wanted to kill him. And we praise you that he is the one who alone can speak to our need now. He is the one who alone can cleanse hearts that are evil. And we pray, Father God, that in accepting this truth, we might be drawn afresh to the Lord Jesus and to what he's done for us on the cross. Amen.